but you need to earn that trust, right? And trust is consistency over time. You cannot earn that in one meeting. You need to work on it and be sure that you keep working on it. It will never be perfect, but I think that you, you can earn that when you have high integrity, high consistency in the way you behave. Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Mincione, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Mincione. Welcome to, or welcome back to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering where technology leaders come to optimize results through successful partnering. I'm Vince Menzion, your host, and my mission is to help leaders like you unlock the leadership principles and learnings of the best in the business to get partnerships right, optimize for success, and deliver your greatest results. Applying mindset, just cause, and agility to achieve your greatest results working with the tech giant. My next guest for Ultimate Guide to Partnering is a leader who's driving great success with SaaS software companies and independent software vendors in this community. Alvaro Siles is Microsoft's Vice President of Global ISV Solutions for the Worldwide Global Partner Solutions Organization, an organization that supports some of Microsoft's largest partners that are globally managed. But more importantly, Alvaro is looking after how Microsoft can better scale with SaaS software companies and independent software vendors of various sizes across this vast ecosystem. I was so excited to welcome Alvaro as he brings 30 years of experience to this wide-ranging conversation that includes what makes a great partner, his career journey in various leadership roles across technology, marketing, sales, and general management and lessons he's learned along the way. Alvaro is also from Venezuela. And as a Latino American, he has been a very strong voice for this community and is helping to drive the discourse on diversity across all communities. Alvaro is just an amazing human. And I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed welcoming Alvaro Siles. Before we dive into the interview, I'm happy to announce that PartnerTap has become a founding sponsor of Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I've been friends with the founders of PartnerTap for many years, and PartnerTap is the only partner ecosystem platform designed for the enterprise. Their technology makes it easy to align channel teams with automated account mapping, letting you control what data you share while building a partner revenue engine. Alvaro, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Vin. It's an honor to be here and looking forward to talk to you and your audience. I am so delighted to welcome you to Ultimate Guide to Partnering. You're Microsoft's Vice President of Global ISV Solutions for the Worldwide Global Partner Solutions Organization. That's a mouthful, right? And uh, new to role, too. And we'll talk a little bit more about your history at Microsoft, but I'm really excited to welcome you to share with our listeners the importance of working with your team, how Microsoft cares and co-sells with partners, why partnering is more important now than ever, and your personal and professional journey. So delighted to have you here today. Well, thank you so much, Vince. Like, it's, it's been fantastic. As I told you, I, I have the utmost appreciation for what you're doing for us and for the industry. Then it's fantastic to have this opportunity to, to have these conversations. And I know that we're going to be running out of time because it's a rich agenda, the one you have. So let's get it going. I'm looking forward to it. All right, let's go. As you might know, I came from a career where, which included a stop for almost a decade at Microsoft. In fact, I got to work closely with your leader, Casey McGee, when he was in an earlier career role. And also, I've worked with large ISVs, independent software vendors, for those who don't know. And so I've also worked with your organization in the past. I wanted to dive in today on how we and partners can more effectively work together. But for our listeners and partners that might not know the function and mission of your role in organization, I thought maybe you'd spend a few moments here with us there. Thank you, Vince. And so let me give you a little bit of context on that. So our team does has three superpowers, three things that we do for Microsoft. The number one is we partner across engineering, sales, marketing, to be sure that we have clarity on 
what is our ISV or what should be our ISV strategy by solution area, every one of the ones that we have in the commercial space, and how the ISV capabilities will enhance and strengthen that long-range planning that we have. Once we have that strategy landed, we select uh, our segmentation of partners. Who should we be managing globally, regionally, locally, through our digital channels and all, all that fun stuff? So that's one part. The second part is for those partners where, given the context, given the plans, given their capabilities, our needs, and the, and the win-win opportunity, we decide to to engage at a global level. My team has a distinct pleasure and honor to engage with them directly. So we also manage this set of global ISVs. Number three is uh, my team also, part of my team is also working on our scale business. How we do that, how we develop that capability to, to manage the thousands or tens of thousands of ISVs that want to work with Microsoft through different engagement models across the world. Those three things are part of what we do for a living. It's a very important mission. One thing I'll say, first off, is that being globally managed is a big deal at Microsoft. That's for the top of the tier. But I'm really excited to hear you say about the scale business. And I've gotten to spend some time with other leaders on this because I do think there are. My friend Jay McBain has said, I don't know, 180,000 SaaS software companies out there. And you can't obviously manage all of those. How do you create a very effective model to help bring more of those organizations on board? Absolutely. And we, we can talk more about that if you want later on. But yeah, that's absolutely a fascinating area. And it's one of the true privileges that you have when you work in an ecosystem. How do you think at that level of scale so you can serve partners of all size, industries, countries? It's a fascinating challenge, but it's a rightful work. It will help progress a society and our technology ecosystem. So I get to work with organizations that work across all three of the hyperscalers, Microsoft, Amazon, and Google. And some of these organizations don't necessarily know. And I think for all of our listeners, we'd like to know, how does Microsoft's approach differ from the other hyperscalers with regards to supporting partners on the platform? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm pretty sure every company has their own answer to this. Let me tell you what we stand out at Microsoft. What we stand for is an end-to-end partnership. We want to be sure that we look at a holistic and durable way to engage with our partners and be sure that we can make them very successful in the service of the customers that we work together for. So think about three big motions. How do we build the products? How do we help them you know, realize on the magic that they want to play out there in the, in the market? How do we go to market together and how do we sell and transact together? And we put all, all those three elements in our plans. We have deep teams on the engineering side, on the marketing side, and also in front of the customers, both enterprise and mid, small and medium size, depending on the, on the channel, that co-sell with our partners to be sure that we can drive uh, that level of, of differentiation. But the feedback that we have getting from the partners, the ISVs that we work with, is that holistic approach, that comprehensive approach from build to sell and creating that virtuous cycle to make the differentiation and the value sustainable over time uh, has set us apart and has earned us the preference and we're honored for that. Yeah, I would agree with you here. And sometimes I get criticized as being a Microsoft fanboy, but I've been inside the four walls and I've seen how some of the others work as well. And having that integration across build with go to market and sell with is really, I think, a differentiation. Would you, I'd like to peel it back here a little bit on the global distinction versus the more of the subsidiary level. I think a lot of organizations struggle understanding how Microsoft operates. Could you help us there in terms of letting our listeners understand the difference between the two? Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, and the, the one premise I would love for us to, to put on the table, because that's it, the guiding principle for us is we got to be sure that we partner with our ISVs or with our partners the way that they need us to be. So it's depending on the partner needs and the partner opportunity. Now, when you unpack that, and, and based on my experience, and let me just give you a little bit of context on, on the way, why I'm answering this way. I invest 23 years in front of the customer and partners, building organizations across Latin America, Asia, and other parts of the world, and the last seven years in global roles. And it's a continuum. When we look into what is the level of maturity of the partnership, what are the offerings, what are the target markets, what is the partner strategy, and how that corresponds with the Microsoft strategy, 
you can make the decision, as I was mentioning before, that it's good for us to have a global engagement. But that's a big commitment from both parts on resourcing, on timing, on scale, in order to work together towards customer impact value and a win-win for both companies. But even at Microsoft, we have a finite number of resources. So you always try to keep that in a very selective rule where you can really honor that expectation, that commitment of the experience of having a global presence and a global partnership. Now, when you look at the continuum that I was mentioning, we also have great partners that are very important, but they need to operate mostly at a pan-regional or regional level. We are at Microsoft organized around 14 different areas. And some of the partners can be managed or we are managed at, at multiple of them. They are not global, but they're pan-regional or they are big partners in a given geography. And some of them will tell you, hey, look, we just want to have a relationship with Microsoft, but we want to be, we want to go at our own pace because of the level of maturity that we have, because of the industry that we're serving. So we just want to be sure that we have a relationship and you're there for us. But I want you to empower us and we take our own uh, path. And that's where we engage through digital channels and the scale engines to be sure that we can also work with them. We respect and believe that every partner is important. We just want to have the right engagement model depending on the partner needs and the opportunity that we have together. And that's the way we think about things. I love what you have to say here, Alvaro. It really makes a difference because I think organizations always want to have that next level, but they don't recognize like being locally managed in one of the 14 subsidiaries is equally beneficial. In fact, sometimes it's even more beneficial because you're closer to the ground with the teams, correct? Absolutely. And actually, I will tell you that when you have these global engagements, the most important part of the global engagement is secure that you have local coverage, right? When you look at why do we partner, right? And it's to serve the customer. The closer you are to the customer, the closer you are to that action, the more powerful the partnership is. And of course, the, when you have a global relationship, there are long-range planning, some products and things that we need to get in the way the, to, to build in order to, to create that success. But that local coverage is at the heart of us going to market together and making a difference for our shared customers. And some of the organizations like the U.S. business are pretty significant, right? The U.S. GPS organization is a pretty significant organization under Tyler Bryson. Yeah, the Global Partner Solutions is a massive organization. Again, Tyler is a great partner and absolutely the, the, his team is extremely relevant. But also I would like to say, you know, I don't want to sound pedantic on the air, but I will tell you, I personally am very proud of the leaders that we have and the partnership that we have all over the world. I think that we have extremely strong teams that are leading partnerships all over the world, different markets, different size, of course, and, and different complexities with your multi-country or you're a single country or a single uh, region. But uh, partnering has been a capability for Microsoft since I've been in the company for almost 30 years. It will be um, one quarter away of 30 years. So I think I want to make it if it goes as planned. And, uh, and partner has been at the core and will be at the core of how we, who we are and what we do. You're too young to be there 30 years. What were you, 12 when you started? Now we're, we're being really good friends. Thank you for your kindness. <laughs> yeah, it's been 30 years, uh, incredibly. Absolutely. I'm of a similar age bracket, so I have to you know, compliment you there. So we've had so many amazing guests come to this platform, Microsoft Leaders, and this podcast is focused on partnering. It's ultimate guide to partnering. So I need to ask, you know, we've had Lonnie Phillips and Carlos de Torres, Rodney Clark, Heather Deegans, Jim Lee, many other amazing guests come. Can you tell our listeners what you believe, Alvaro, makes a great partner? Well, the, first of all, you have all my friends in the podcast, so it's, 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 it's like at least for a, for a reunion. It's awesome. I'm very blessed. No, it's, uh, it's been fantastic. So good job on that. Now, look, on your question, so let me tell you the way I think about this, and this is my, my personal perspective based on my experience and, and the view. For me, our partners are our best teachers because they, they spend so much time in front of the customer day in, day out. They don't have the resourcing and the capabilities that a company like Microsoft will have. So they keep you grounded on what the customer is saying, what the reality is looking at, what's going on in the market, the things that really impact and affect them. And I've always have learned a ton. And my work with partners has allowed me to, to be smarter about the business and more accurate on how can I help and how can we make a difference. So partners that, that teach, that share, that provide that feedback, are that's a great component of what I believe that the partnership needs to base on. How do you ensure that they give you the feedback? Is there anything special you do there? Well, I think that you need to have genuine interest and you need to put your ego aside and, and listen. 
you need to be an active listener. I think that when you, there's people and there's people, right? So I want to respect everyone's approach. But in my case, I truly, I'm truly curious, genuinely interested to understand what is important for my partners, what have been their experiences in front of the customers. And I think that more you show that genuine approach and the more you show that you're going to do something about it, and you close the feedback loop with them and they see that this feedback and these conversations are, are really making a difference, the more they will be inspired and confident to provide you with the gift of that feedback. But you need to earn that trust, right? And trust is consistency over time. You cannot earn that in one meeting. You need to work on it and be sure that you keep working on it. It will never be perfect, but I think that you, you can earn that when you have high integrity, high consistency in the way you behave. I refer to trust as the lifeblood of the partnership. Absolutely. So that, that's one piece, right? I mean, f- the, that feedback, that insight, being our best teachers on, on the opportunity and how can we be our partners. I also have observed that companies that have a clarity of mission and purpose are incredibly great partners. And, and let me, in my many years working with partners, my favorite questions to founders and CEOs is what I call the fundamental question, which is, if your company ceases to exist tomorrow, right, you close shop, Who's going to miss you and why? And that question is such a rich platform for an incredible good conversation on the right of the company to exist. What differentiation do we have for the customer? Why are we unique? Who will? Who is really our competition, et cetera, et cetera. So that clarity of mission and purpose, I have found that is extremely useful and uh, a north star in how do you build the partnerships. Then, and, and I, I imagine you have an opinion on that, so let me finish and then I'll, I'll pass the mic to you. But the, 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 sec- the, the, the next element is culture. Is What is the culture of the company? Are you willing to build a culture of partnership? And, and building this relationship takes time, energy, and you need to be purposeful. Of course, we have a joint interest that is the benefit of the customer. It has to be a win-win. There might be elements in the partnership where you will need to give some more versus what you get, and in others will be the contrary. But is are, are we better together? Can we get to a question where one plus one equals three or four versus separate, right? Can we get to that level? Can we find that formula together? Partnerships are co-created. They, are not, they cannot be created unilaterally. And in that culture of partnership, I think it's also super important to observe the ability of the company to learn unlearn and relearn because the only constant in this industry is change. So having that ability so we can iterate fast and find our path forward. When you combine those elements that I just mentioned, I always see great partnership when the things are present or those elements are present uh, in our relationships. I love it to have to say here, it's almost like you and I are speaking the same exact language. I have, I talk about, first of all, the effective communications. Part, many partners are not deliberate enough in their communications. Just cause right? That's what you were talking about. What's our why? Like, why are we here? Why are we locking arms in a shared relationship? How do we get there? And then the mindset. I talk about growth mindset. I love what the work that Satya has done on growth mindset within Microsoft, but partners need to come to the table with the right mindset. I think you use the term partner mindset in the discussion. And then you loop it around with what I refer to as agility, which is we have to recognize that things change. We need to pivot when we need to together. We might need to adjust the plan, but we understand that intuitively we need to do that together. Is that what I heard you say? Absolutely. I think that we are in the same wavelength and then we all have our way to tell the story, but the, the principles are there. And I love the fact that we can share that with the audience because I think that the, the more we have a shared understanding of these elements, the more effective we can be together. So thank you for reinforcing that, Vince. So we're hopefully coming out of a time like no other, right? And the world is opening up, Microsoft's campus is opening up, and there's still some, I call them outbreaks of part of the coronavirus. But we're coming out of this time like no other and finally getting out and traveling. And I know you were out traveling recently as well, as I was. How have the last two years impacted you and your leadership style, almost 30 years at Microsoft? And what is the best thing you learned or took away from these last two years? Thank you, Vince. Yeah, I'm back on traveling. Before the pandemic, before you know all this situation with COVID, I used to travel 250,000 miles a year, right? So I was a road warrior. 
Because I love to be in front of the customer, in front of partners, and being out there. And having a global role was a perfect excuse for me to be on a plane massively. I learned that a lot of what I did was personal choice, and you could have done it in different ways, virtual meetings, etc. But when I reflect over the last couple of years, uh, the first thing that I would like to acknowledge is the amount of loss, sadness, and the tragedy on the on the human side on what happened with COVID, right? On what has happened with COVID still going on in a in a different level, but still going on. And you see the, the news in some parts of the world is still a, a very real problem. What I have on the silver line, the things that I have rescued from all this tragedy that has gone in the world and all the, but all the changes that have happened. And we have talked tons on the business side about how much have we accelerated the digital transformation due to the seismic changes on the economic context and hybrid work and all the things. So I'm not going to go there. I think those are being very well discussed in, in many forums. Personally, the one thing that I observe that is being inspiring to me and is very close to home is how the workplace has been humanized. I Before the pandemic, I think that we all had our brave faces. And the, the moment that you connect with senior leaders in our companies, we were all in in, in that position, my team, your team, etc. There were good conversations, but there was a lot of you put your game face on and you go and represent a role. Right? These days, I have calls with very senior people in very <laughs> important companies and they're like, hey, I'm walking the dog. Hey, sorry, I hear my kids in the call. Say hi. This is my friend. It's such, and you can see the smiles, you can see the relax, how the work-life harmony is finding a new path and how have been more open I've been in meetings where people are like, hey, I need to take a break. Do you mind if I take the second part of this call taking a walk because I want to get the fresh air? And it's human. It's real. And I believe that allowing us, having that permission to be our true self and bringing that to work is making us better. So that I'm very grateful for, that we have that permission. And, and I hope that, with that this, this will stay long after the, the pandemic uh, ends and all the, all the change. We go to the new normal, whatever that is. But that element has been a fascinating change that I have observed. I don't know your opinion on this, but in a, in a very particular way, that piece has just talked to me, has made an impact uh, to me in a, in a very material way. Yeah, from my perspective as well, we've become so much more human with one another. The, the kids coming in, they're waving and hugging mom and dad, the dog barking. And I suspect and I hope we won't ever go back. The genie's out of the bottle now. That's a sure, that's sure aspiration, my friend. I think that, that will be great. And I think also the level of stress is less. You bring your true self to work and you really worry about the real things. Things got in perspective. But anyway, to your thank you for that question. And at least that's my, my silver lining from all the things that have happened uh, with the pandemic. Yeah, I agree with all of your sentiments here about how tragic this uh, last two years have been for so many people. And hopefully we will never go back that way either. I want to pivot back to the business discussion a little bit. One of the topics I always hear at Microsoft when we talk a lot of partners about is the partner-to-partner play. The ISV community, of course, is providing software that requires, in many cases, either a partner to sell it or to implement it, or there's some other type of partner engagement here. And I've worked with a lot of these organizations on P2P, and I know it's so important to ultimate success working with Microsoft. What do you believe is true here with regards to P? Why is it important and what does your organization do to enforce it? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Look, P2P has been like the nirvana of a partner ecosystem when you get your partners to work together. When I talk to partners about that, I say, look, there's, there's three things that you need to consider on why do you want to build more partnerships? Because again, as we discussed, you need to have energy, you need to have the right culture, you need to be intentional, and you need to be strategic on how do you build those. I think there, the three elements are how do you create more value for the customer? How do you drive scale for your business? And how do you gain agility or time to value, depending on the case? So let me go talk a little bit about the three in, in a brief way. So when you think about value, customers are moving from away from products for a long time. It's all about solutions. And with digital transformation, it's about outcome. It's every time that transformation gets accelerated, it's harder and harder for one company to be able to be the one-stop shop to do everything and have every capability to solve that customer problem to generate that outcome. So then you need to make a strategic choice. Do you build more capabilities? Do you, make, do you grow your portfolio? Do you change the company? Or you just go partner with people that can be world-class on that element that you need to complement your solution, your 
cloud service, your superpower, whatever that is. And by working with them in a flexible way, are you doing better by the customer? And I think that's a very important question. But that generation of value in front of the customer by aligning yourself with other partners is a very important consideration and it's a true generation of value. When you look at exchange across Microsoft partners, that happens every year. Then the second element is when you look at the growth planning, a lot of our partners are like, I want to go to a different geography. I want to go to a different industry. I want to move and I want to expand. I want to I increase my time. One way for you to do that, if you need to have that relationship with customers and uh, you need to have that engagement is actually working with other partners that might have that relationship or in those markets that you want to get in, either industries or geographies. And that way, your time to presence, your time to impact is actually more agile. So it helps you with your scale and it helps you with your speed and your agility too. So you need to consider these three elements on that. I personally believe that, and again, going back to my point of clarity of purpose, that once why your company exists and who's going to mission why if you're not there, you need to be sure that you're true to your mission, true to who you are, and then surround yourself with other companies that complement that mission, always in service of the customer. I believe that companies that are customer obsessed on how to generate value are the ones that will find very quickly the right level of other partnerships to create. We foster that when you look at the, the programs that we have, the way that we do to differentiate partners, the Microsoft Partner Network, the, the, the programs that we have for partners, create that curated list that allow people to understand who who has the same level of quality relationship with us. And that's a way to also create a closer bridge between both companies and then they need to just arrange the commercial terms, etc. But it's a, it's a critical element on the strategic development of any, any partner, in my opinion. You said something that was really fundamental to me. It was around the customer and the customer being the North Star. And we've been talking about this, how the evolution of procurement has changed. We used to talk to the the CIO we used to talk to the IT shop. Now the customer decisions being made in the line of business and the five seats at the table, the, the customer is relying on its most trusted vendors to help them make those decisions. And having those relationships, and whether they be influence partners, systems integrators, reseller partners, and the like, is just so critical to success. Would you agree? Absolutely. Anissa? In all industries and in all customer size, right? It's not only enterprise, also when you go to small and medium, it's even more predominant. But the, the fact that you're going to talk to the business owner and talk about outcomes, it changes the game. And it will force you to find the right complements to be sure that you can have the right answer and a genuine answer so you can have a customer for a long time, hopefully for life. So I want to ask the opposite of the question I asked you earlier, right? So... We talk about partnership and how critical and fundamental it is. And I've seen it from both sides. I've seen also when organizations have failed partnering. What would you say for organizations failing? What have you seen? What has been the kryptonite you've seen? Uh, look, that's a great question. And I don't, I don't know, Vince, I will tell you this one thing. What I have observed is the winners are the companies that learn from those setbacks I, and find a way to recover and come back stronger. I think we all have our history, enterprises, endeavors, initiatives, programs, pilots, offerings that have, won't go, have not gone the way we wanted. And that is okay. Look, that is business. You need to take some risk. You need to go. The question is, what are you going to do about it? If you let them, if you go repeat that, then it's ego and normally that's really a failure. If you use it as a platform for learning, it's a very different energy. I also have found that companies have the resiliency to absorb that setback but are obsessed with the customer and with that clarity of mission, will find their way through curiosity and fast iteration to really find the right path forward. So it's not really a failure, it's a setback, right? Or it's a way not to do it. Okay, now let me go explore another one. I learned how not to do it, right? But th those elements of learning, resiliency, curiosity, and fast iteration really allow a partner to come back from any setback that you may have and come at the end of the process stronger and better because you, you just got way more, way stronger and more directed on what really adds value to the customer. The one thing that I will say that characterizes when there's a real loss is when the company is too much in love with their own ideas and cannot accept a process, the setback and get stuck in that mindset and just keep trying 
the same thing and expecting a different result. That's a recipe for failure, for sure. You said a lot here. And I got to say, I'll say it again. I love what you had to say here because I think you, you brought up resiliency. And I've seen organizations actually change their partner model, change their business model from in the old days being a SharePoint partner to being an ISV. And then the organizations that struggle, I think what you mentioned, I refer to as hubris, organizations that get stuck and fall in love with their own model and aren't willing to really be open to new ideas and really seeing or getting feedback that the model isn't working. Absolutely. I think that trait is one trait that you can observe in companies that don't do well. Yeah, I am in so in agreement. I'm so excited to welcome Athletic Greens as the latest sponsor to Ultimate Guide to Partnering. Friends who know me know I've made taking a green drink supplement part of my health ritual for over 20 years now, and it has made all the difference to my health and well-being. About five years ago, I added Athletic Greens, and now their product, AG1, has become my go-to green drink supplement. I take this literally every single day. AG1 is packed with 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens. It literally has replaced every vitamin in my cabinet. I take it at the start of the day and often have a second serving on days when I really need it. If you'd like to give AG1 a try, Athletic Greens is giving away a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs with every new purchase. Check them out at athleticgreens.com forward slash Vince M. So, Alvaro, I would love to pivot here, if you don't mind. As you might know, I'm fascinated with the career journey and helping early in career professionals get to a spot in their career. And so I'm a student of high performance as well. And I also mentioned to you earlier that I have been a diversity lead. I was a diversity lead at Microsoft. I helped to lift all voices. And so you have a great pedigree history and story here. And I, I was hoping you could share that with our listeners, your journey to vice president. Vice president's a big deal at Microsoft. And also how you got here from your background and your roots. So would you mind taking us through that? I'll try to make a long story short. Thank you for the question, Vince. Look, what I will tell you is I am the most unlikely sales leadership or sales and marketing leadership career that you might find over there. Actually, the, the long story short is I, I, I am at, at the university. I am doing my the subject for my master in computer science. I have three jobs. I'm working in the oil industry. I'm teaching at night in a university. I'm doing my master. Microsoft opens in Venezuela. One of my former teachers become the sales manager. Two of my friends got a job on technical support. And, and, and they called me and say, hey, this is super cool. And Microsoft, blah, blah, blah. I get a hold of the book Inside Windows NT by Dave Kotler. I read the Microcanada architecture. I, I was a very deep technical person. You might call me a geek, which is absolutely fine. It was a different term back then, but you got my point, right? And I'm like, oh, this is so nice. It's like, I want to do this. So I went to Microsoft and asked for a job in development. Of course, there was no development in Venezuela back then. And like, okay, give me a job in technical support. Sorry, your two friends already took the two jobs that we have. I'm like, damn. Okay, so no luck for me. Well, we have a work, we have a job in product marketing for Windows and three. I'm like, oh, I can do that. I know operating systems. I was an assistant teacher, and I'm actually a teacher, so I can make a pitch. I don't know what product manager is, but if you can if understanding the technology and making pitches, I can do that. Why not? And this is how it started. If you tell me, right, back in the day, that I will be ended up living in Redmond, having a multi-billion dollar business that I manage through partners or customers and all this, I will be like, Are you, you're crazy. I'm a technical person. I'm, I will be developing stuff in, in a room somewhere because I, that, that's what I do. It happens to be that we were eight employees. We had more countries than people. And very quickly we realized that. And they're like, hey, Alvaro, we realize we have more countries and people in the office. Can you help us open subsidiaries? Look, you are 22, 20 years old, 23 years old. And what do you say? Sure, why not? So I started my commercial career. And, and, and you start doing a little bit of everything because there's so few people. And I got good at that. And eventually start got more encouraged to... Ah, actually, Partners was my first leadership job at Microsoft, of all things. Because happens to be that I had a, an instinct for those, that which I didn't absolutely have no idea I had. 
until I tried. So one thing took to another. The long story short is I am planning to retire from Microsoft as a GM of Venezuela. I got that job at 29 after being the GM in Central America and the Caribbean. I was, sorry, I was in, in Guatemala for one year. And then I said, what? I don't think, I think I'm too young to retire at 29. So that might be a bad idea. I think I'm putting a limit on myself. I just want to go for it and see what happens. And have fun in the process. And my, my, my point has been, if I keep growing, I keep learning and making a difference, I'll stick around and go for the ride to see what happens. And it's been an incredible opportunity. That took me from Venezuela to Florida, multiple roles in product, partner, and general management. That took me to Asia, of all places, Singapore. I spent four years there as a vice president for the region. And uh, it, was, it was interesting because it was by, by actually not planning for the next job, but planning two, three jobs on the road that I could really break through the lineal progress and really br- break through into the VP ranks. Because I was more interested on in being sure that in the midterm, I was a more qualified leader versus being the best on the next step. So I, I took a different approach to that. And that change of energy and, and more strategic approach really helped me out to step up and, and become a, a vice president. And then the rest was history. There were, there were great leaders that believed in me and gave me opportunities. And that took me to Redmond. And here I am now uh, leading ISP. It's been an incredible career. I never thought I would spend 30 years in a place. And I would I, 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 still my two premises are the same, right? If I keep learning, I keep growing. I'll stay around, and the moment that's not true, I'll do something else. But the company has been extremely kind to me, and I'm a very fortunate person, I will tell you. It's a great story. And I actually know a GM who retired when he was like 29 years old and then came back because he recognized like he was too young to retire, and there was so much more ahead of him at Microsoft. So he reminded me of that. Uh, yeah, thank you. So you mentioned work brought you to the United States on multiple occasions, uh, Fort Lauderdale, which is the LATAM, or Miami, which is the LATAM region for Microsoft, and then to Redmond, to the main campus, to the mothership, as we sometimes refer to it. As a Latino male, in what is still a white male-dominated industry, were there any barriers that you faced or you had to overcome? Yeah, but what I will tell you is I, I never understood that until I, I moved seven years ago to the Pacific Northwest and and went deeper into the, the experience of being part of, of corporate America, not only at Microsoft, but working with the local partners and, and getting deeper into what the reality was. I think that my, my times in Florida, the culture was different all around the state. And also it was so focused on Latin America that I really, I was living in the US, but my day to day was mostly in the Latin American context. And what happened to me was there was one data point that changed my life and my approach to the whole Latino, Latinx cause in the U.S. And, and the responsibility that people like me have to make a difference. And what happened is that I learned that 76% of Latino Hispanic in the U.S., right, in general, corporate America, hide their ethnicity and their roots because they believe that's going to be decremental for their careers. And that, at that point, really, it became such a... I can, it's hard for me to explain the emotional reaction I had to that because I think it's an, not only an injustice, it's just, it's a tragedy because of the amount of energy that you need to put to hide who you are, not to mention how happy you are trying to pretend to be someone you're not. And I don't think anyone deserves that. I think that everyone deserves an opportunity to be who they are, bring their self to work and have a, a level playing field and compete fairly for the opportunities and call me a a dreamer, but I think that's what we deserve. So my quest has been and on how do I make the difference for me? Look, I think that I've been very fortunate to to get to this role and I have done better than I ever dreamed. So I, again, I, I can call it a day and I will be widely beyond whatever I, I dreamed when I was a young kid in, in Venezuela, in Maracay, where I was born. But I owe that to the generations that are following me and to my kids. I want to create a better workplace for them. That's what motivated me to become the executive sponsor for Ola, the Hispanic and Latinx uh, ERG at Microsoft and work inside the company to start changing our own context. That's what motivated me also to become part of the board of directors of Hitech, which is a nonprofit organization that is focused on the development of a Latino Hispanic talent in technology for the U.S. And that is a cause that I'm fully committed to, to keep working until my last days, even after I retire from you know day-to-day work. 
that will be something that will be very active because I believe that we, we can do better. We have made progress. We have a long way to go to be sure that what industry we all have, uh, we have that level playing field and these stereotypes and uh, biases are eradicated. Just, I just love what you have to say here. I, as we've talked about this diversity, like my mission and passion around diversity and inclusion and also around the fact that we that are privileged in the tech industry can help guide the way and lead at this time. I love what you're doing here. We're, I want to provide links. It's high tech. Is that the organization? Yeah, hightech.org, hightechglobal.org. And actually there's a, yeah, yeah, that's the, the company. And we, if, if you don't find it, I'm happy to give you that and we can post it as part of the, the podcast for your audience. But I will invite everyone to join the cause and be sure that we work on it. It's, it's not only, it's of course, destined to the development of a Latino Hispanic, but we welcome everyone. You need to be inclusive. And we welcome allies from all directions in life. Everyone that shares that passion to create a level playing field is welcome. And I think what I heard you say here is recognizing people's diversity of all types. And I think you made a big, bold statement there that I think there are a lot of people that have different levels of diversity or how they identify themselves. And they hide that, right, from others. Yeah. And that, as I told you, Vince, that thing, I think, is, is a tragedy on energy. It's an injustice on people. Is yes, we're in the 21st century. There's no reason in the world, at least in my view, why we should tolerate a working environment that is like that. I know we're not perfect, but I also know that we can do better. So I just want to be sure that I, le I, I left, I leave the workplace in a better place than I found it. So it becomes a better place for the generations to come. You reminded me, we have had Dr. Michael Gervais here on the podcast twice. And I know you probably got to know him a little bit when he worked at Microsoft. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you brought up something here, and I was going to ask you this, but maybe you just said it. Like, is there a just cause or personal philosophy that you bring to your life and you carry into business and personal life? Yeah, thank you for that question, Vince. And I, I do. Look, I had the pleasure to to work with Otto Gervais, too, and, and the power of having that uh, personal philosophy is, is really deep. So here's the story about this. It will take me three minutes or two minutes. In 2000, I will say 2004, I worked with a coach because I was struggling to lead the uh, this, uh, highly distributed teams across the region in Latin America. And one thing that, that this coach helped me understand is, hey, look, the problem is when you're remote, people will only see small pictures of who you are. And in the human mind, you will just create a, a movie by taking those pictures and trying to, to make sense of them. And everyone can have a different opinion. If you don't take control and you tell people who you are and what do you stand for, it will be very hard for them to be able to connect with you and to follow you. So you need to help them know who you are. And that was a very powerful advice I got by, by that coach. That's still a, a great friend, Stan Slap. So uh, the way I frame it is who I am is a, I, I am a leader that lives by three values, family, integrity, and passion. And I reflect them in the way, in the workplace, in the way I create environments for my team where everyone can be the true self, all respecting the boundaries of the others. Actually, I ended up being like my grandmother, which I'm very tough inside the house. I will challenge you to be all you can be, and I will be the first one defending the team outside. Integrity in the way that our word is overbound. If you commit to something, you follow through. I offer the same. And if, if it doesn't happen, you come back. But I need to be able to trust you and you need to trust me. And everyone in my team starts with 100% trust. And it's for you to prove me wrong that I shouldn't be trusting you. And the last one is passion. For me, passion is about putting the heart on what you do. If you're going to be away from your family and the things that you carry in your personal life to work, be sure that you do that. And you put, and for something that really is going to turn your heart and it's going to help you find your own fulfillment in the professional side. I learned that when you have passion for things, you can make things happen that become magic. And those three values are, are my guide. My personal philosophy is that I improve people's life to technology. I build legacy. I enjoy a lifelong journey of learning and growth. I'm a caring, thought-loving father, husband, son, and friend. This is who I am. I love it. I love it. We're going to post it in our show notes. And I love the family integrity and passion. Like, I just love the, fi the fire there. Thank you. And I have been doing this since that time to every team I come. Every time, my first slide is, let me tell you who I am, first and foremost. And then we can go and talk business and all the stuff. And it's been such a powerful way to create a human connection because people like to work with people. 
I so agree with you. And I happen to know some people who have worked for you, and I don't want to, I know you're a modest individual, but I've heard nothing but amazing things about your leadership style. So it's obviously working. So I'd like to pivot. This is a fun question. I love to ask this question and uh, we'll have a little fun with this. So you're hosting a dinner party and this dinner party could be anywhere in the world, by the way, you've done a lot of traveling. And so we can discuss venues in a moment, but you can invite any three guests to this dinner party from the present or the past to the dinner party. So one person even said someone in the future, who would you invite to this amazing dinner party and why? Gee, Vince, you're getting, getting tough in here. Okay, so let me work on this. Hey, so uh, that's a great question. Now, look, I, I will tell you, there comes to mind three personalities that I would love to pick their brains and learn more from them. As a Venezuelan, I have absolutely no problem confessing that I would love to have the opportunity to get to know better and understand the motivations and the leadership of Simon Bolivar. The fact that he took on himself to not only break the slavery in Venezuela, but the whole part of the, con the, the, the South American continent, living behind a life of luxury and, and privileges is inspiring, to say the least. Learning from that will be a blessing for someone like me. The second guest, I, am, I, I will have a hard time picking between Nelson Mandela and uh, Mohatma Gandhi, which are people that have created deep societal changes in a non-violent way. Connecting to our previous conversations, we need change in our society. How do we do that in a constructive, non-violent way? I don't think there's a space or reason for violence in the world at all. So learning from those leaders that have done that in an in a incredible way will be a gift for life. And number three, I, as a technologist and a geek, because that's part of who I am, I'm, I'm still a geek at heart, um, I try to keep up. I love to have a chat with Elon Musk on his mental model to simplify, deconstruct, and disrupt. I think it's, it's been fantastic when you see what he has done with cars and Tesla or the space exploration and SpaceX. There's something on the way he frames, he finds the complexity, he reduces, he creates that differentiation and then create disruption through preference. That is uh, very interesting, and I'd love to learn more on, on how he goes around that. Those will be my, my three guests. They're fascinating. I didn't know the first one. So Simon Bolivar, is that how? To Simon Bolivar, Simon Bolivar. He, he was, he's a, the person that led the independence of uh, Venezuela and a lot of the uh, South America countries back in the, from the Spaniards in, in the days of the colony. Make sure we have a link to him in the show notes. Nelson Mandela and Gandhi, both amazing leaders. Nelson Mandela being in prison for 26 years and then coming out and forgiving his captors. Just crazy. And then Elon Musk, I, I, he's like a hot knife through butter. Like you, you use the term simplification, right? What he has done with SpaceX and Tesla and now Twitter. He'll soon have Twitter under his wing. That's it. Yeah, we'll see how that pans out. But when you look at SpaceX and Tesla, it's I think it's fantastic. The mental model and the approach for you to, to, to manage a level of complexity. I think that we need more simplification in the world. There's too much complexity going on. And I, whatever he's doing, however how he's thinking about it, he's working, at least for those two. So there, there's something to be learning there for sure. Absolutely. Alvaro, you have been an amazing guest, Alvaro. I just want to thank you. I'm so excited to have you come here today. We had to wait a little while to get you, and I'm so glad that you are feeling well and back where you need to be. Do you have any closing comments or advice for our partners on how they can best optimize their success working with Microsoft and your organization? Thank you, for Vincent. As I mentioned at the beginning, thank you for the mission you are in to connect us, to give us a platform to have these conversations and the value exchanges with your audience. It's, I think it's greatly appreciated from us in the industry and from your audience as well. So Keep doing what you're doing and we'll be here supporting your cause. When I think about our partners, I would say that there are three things that I will invite them to keep working on. That clarity of purpose, mission, and culture is so important for your own company, for your own direction. So please keep working on that. That is a North Star that because that's going to be centered on the customer and who you are in the marketplace. So having that clarity help us be better partners with you. We didn't talk much about this, but I, I also believe it's, it's fundamental that we keep modernizing and digitizing our capabilities. When you look at the, the deep impact that technologies like the marketplaces are having in the world, how do we go around having even technology-assisted sales, even in the managed space, 
How do you go and generate demand through digital channels? All that, those capabilities have to get to a whole different new level as an industry for us to win and serve the customer better, which is a completely different or, or deeper conversation. But my invitation for our partners will be to keep investing on that modernization and breaking new ground on the adoption of digital tools and, and, and processes. Last but not least is please keep teaching, sharing your feedback, telling us what, how can we do better. I believe that continuous feedback loop is critical for us to have the, the infuse and the input and get iterative better in the way that we approach the partnership. Things keep changing and we need to keep being sure that we're hopefully ahead of the curve on those changes and enabling our partners realize the potential and generating the value for our customers. That's how we win. So you've been an amazing guest and you touched on this whole automation marketplace, how we will scale is what I, I would say here. I would love to have you back. I'm inviting you back again. I want to have another discussion with you. We could do it two, three, four, or five months from now. But we're all seeing this evolution, right? This We're calling it a decade of the ecosystem. And I believe that we're at a point now, a seminal point, where things are really going to change in the way we partner and work together. I believe so, Vince. And again, thank you so much for the invitation. I'll be more than happy to come back as many times as you think it can be of value. And it's been a blast to have this chat with you and looking forward to hear the feedback from your, your audience on this conversation, what other topics might be of their interest. And we are here to help and partner. So thank you. Thank you so much, Alvaro. And I might join you for a glass of wine at that dinner party. So expect me to show up in Redmond for one of these days. Absolutely welcome. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. It's been a pleasure. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at Vince M at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by PartnerTap, the partner ecosystem platform most trusted by enterprise. Drive more revenue with your partners and learn more at partnertap.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.